0: I'm Bill Raggio, a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Long War Journal. And this is Generation Jihad, the podcast that covers what used to be known as the global war on terror and what we now call the Long War. Last week, there was renewed fighting between the Israeli military and Palestinian militants in Gaza. Joining us to talk about this is Jonathan Chanzer, the Senior Vice President of Research at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, and Joe Trusman, a research analyst at FDD and contributor to the Long War Journal. Welcome, gentlemen.
1: Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, guys, always a pleasure. Looking looking forward to this conversation. A lot has happened over the past several days. Um, You know, it seems like uh, it's becoming a yearly event, the, the fighting breaks out in the summer, and the... Uh, um well, let's get started at the beginning. Uh, uh, Joe, tell us about how this this all began. What what was the flashpoint of the fighting uh between the Israeli military and, and particularly uh, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad?
1: Right. Uh so all this started last week uh on Monday when a Palestinian Islamic Jihad uh, leader in the West Bank uh Bassam Al-Saadi was arrested by the uh the uh the idf and and janine uh and uh he was uh when he was arrested uh there was he was dragged out of his home and he was bit by a dog one of the dogs uh owned by uh by the idf or used by the idf rather and uh on top of that everything was recorded so uh it was it was the video was shown on social media and uh anyway so the uh this angered islamic jihad uh and they began threatening uh that uh, they would retaliate if the idf did not uh, release al-saadi which they didn't after that uh, there was a few days of uh, you, know, you can almost say some type, some sort of mediation uh but on friday morning we're at the, Friday afternoon local time the israelis uh, attacked a site in gaza and killed a palestinian islamic jihad commander uh who was actually the northern commander of of uh, of the group his name is uh, Taisir al jabadi uh and that's what started the fighting and uh, it progressed over the over a few days uh, up till sunday night and uh until a ceasefire was uh, mediated by egypt so that's where we uh, we stand right now
0: and John, uh, any any thoughts on the the origins of this fighting and where yeah, we are today?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, look, I think actually you got to step back just a, another you know year or, or maybe twenty actually, um, <laughs> maybe forty. <40? laughs> no, no, just just twenty. I first of all, uh, where Bassam al Sadi was arrested was uh, the town of Janine. Um, Janine is a, it's a, one of the larger towns in the West Bank and, and really since 2002, dating back to the second Intifada, um, it has been, it's gone through its ups and downs. It's gone through some interesting cycles, but, you know, it intermittently has been kind of a no-go zone, uh, for the Palestinian Authority. It's been difficult for them to get a handle on, um, on, on some of the militant groups activities in particular Hamas, but, uh, Pidge as well. And so, uh, since last year's war, the, uh, the war of 2021, what the Israelis call guardians of a wall, um, clearly influenced by Game of Thrones, um, there, there's been an uptick in Iran backed militant activity. And, um, part of that actually appears to stem from a nerve center. That is based in beirut it's a nerve center that includes uh the quds force of the irgc this is the iran um uh, terror group and then on top of that you got hamas you got Pidge, you got hezbollah and they're all working together to try to bring militants out of the shadows and and into conflict with israel and so the west banks become kind of a mess and you know i think you know the, the backdrop there is that you got the Palestinian Authority president, Mahmoud Abbas, who's 80-something years old and I think 16 years into a four-year term. The guy's just not really extending his power or the power of the PA uh, through the West Bank. So the Israelis have had to do their own uh, policing. And uh, so they went in and they and they nabbed this guy, Bassam al-Sadi, as Joe mentioned. And that just led to the system blinking red in Gaza. They started watching an uptick of, of activity, uh, preparations for a terror attack. And so then that's when uh, the Israelis took out this top leader from the Gaza Strip. Um, and that just led to um, all hell breaking loose. The the killing of Taisir al-Jabri, from what I heard, was a pretty significant operation and, and actually really amazing precision munitions where the Israelis were able to get to him through the window of a third or fourth floor um, uh, walk up, and they just got him and his immediate, um, the, the people who were uh, working with him to plan a terrorist attack. But that basically uh, led to the unleashing of all the pitch rockets that we saw over the last
1: week. I would like to uh- just. Yes. Sorry, sorry, Bill. Uh, No, I just just wanted to add one thing, uh, because John reminded me. And just to add on what he was saying, uh, especially about the West Bank, a lot of this started, really originated last year, like he was saying. Uh, We've seen, and this was something we've tracked it. Uh, Long War Journal is the uptick in militant activity in the West Bank starting since last year, uh, after the uh, Guardians of the Wall operation in uh, May, you know, in May 2021. Uh, these, um, what they're called Katibat or these units, uh, primarily led by Palestinian Islamic Jihad have uh, been established in several West Bank cities, uh, especially Janine, There's a Tulkaram, There's a Nablus unit. Um, and there's another unit as well. So these uh, these organizations, these Katibat uh, or units that have been established by PIJ, have been causing a lot of problems for the IDF uh, for the IDF as it operates in, in the West Bank, uh, especially during counterterrorism missions. So that's why we see seen a lot of clashes and. And a lot, and you, you, likely will remember the, uh, Shireen Abu Akleh killing. Uh, that was during a huge firefight between the IDF and, uh, these, uh, Qatibat units. So, um, there has been, this IDF has had, uh, <clears throat> a Palestinian Islamic Jihad problem for a while now, especially in the West Bank. And, uh, Bassam, like John said, uh, al-Saadi's arrest, uh, last week just really set things off.
0: So, other than Assadi and Jabari, the the Palestinians' long jihad commanders you you both mentioned previously, have, have there been any other important leaders killed or captured by the IDF during the current operations? Uh, the IDF over the weekend they claimed that they um, they basically took out the the entire leadership, and I'll I'll, I'll read a direct quote from a, I believe it was the Jerusalem Post that said. Uh, And you had a IDF spokesman say, according to our intelligence, all of the senior security operatives operatives of Gaza's Islamic Jihad have been eliminated. What are your what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, they they took out another senior leader, a guy by the name of Khalid Mansour, another military leader in 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 the Gaza Strip. Uh, As I understand it, they also took out the head of the rocket division, who was, uh, let's just say, a lieutenant. Um, and also the head of their anti tank division. So, uh, and then on top of that, I think there was, uh, um, Taisir al-Jabari's son, if I'm not mistaken. They took out a lot of, of, of the leadership. Speaking to a uh, senior Israeli official yesterday, uh, the word that they use in Hebrew was samaret, which is the sort of the, the cream, um, the, the top level, uh, of, of pitch. Um it's actually interesting. The um the IDF has stopped calling it Palestinian Islamic Jihad or, or Pidge, they're just calling it Islamic
0: jihad now. Yeah, I noticed um, that in the statement. I thought that was quite
2: interesting. Yeah, and actually part of that I think stems from the fact that they don't want to associate this with the Palestinians. This is, after all, an Iran-backed proxy group. It really takes all of its direction and funding and gets armed and trained by Iran. So they're they're trying to dissociate uh this group. From, uh, from the Palestinian cause, if you will. We might call it uh, the DIJ, the decimated Islamic Jihad, after uh, the reports that are coming out from Israel. Um, you know, look, I, I will just say this about the, um, the process of decapitation. And Bill, um, I think you and I have talked about this over the years. I mean, I've seen other moments where the Israelis have taken out top leaders from various terrorist groups, And so you got the good news from the Israeli perspective, which is, you know, it's chaos, it's confusion within the Islamic Jihad on the one hand. On the other hand, what you could be creating, what we could be watching right now is sort of a hydra effect where, you know, the the group is forced, I mean, A, to, to generate new leaders, but now probably to operate more in the shadows, more in a cell structure which means that each independent cell will have um independent operations right so you've got the potential now to make it more difficult for israel uh to target them in the future um we don't know and we'll have to we'll have to find out but it's sort of i think it'll be an interesting thing to watch as they look to rebuild their ranks um how the organization uh, will be structured
0: yeah, I think that the um, you know, again, I'm always targeted killing and capturing of, of terrorist leadership. Certainly important, but without a sustained operation, they my experience is they tend to regenerate. I mean, the IDF is, is very good at this. They have good intelligence, they have excellent tactics. But these problems have persisted for decades. Um, you know they, but without a doubt, this will set the uh, Islamic Jihad, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, back. Yeah, for at you least know, well, in the short term, Joe. Anything? Yeah, and okay.
2: What one other thing I'll just mention, Bill, that uh, that I heard yesterday, which uh, shocked me actually, is that um, you know usually when these battles break out, um, when you look at Hamas or Hezbollah in particular. Their leadership immediately goes underground. Right. I mean, they will go literally, um, you know, several stories beneath the earth to make sure that they are not killed. Um, Pidge did not do that. And and it left them susceptible to the kind of decapitation operations. Now, why they did that, I don't know. Maybe they didn't expect the Israelis to preempt, um, you know, because the Israelis did strike first and that may have You know, caught them off guard, but I mean, the tensions, as Joe mentioned, were already running pretty high. There was no reason for them to, you know, to stay above ground and to potentially put themselves in harm's way. Um, But the Israelis have, um, and I I think we've we've talked about this on on this show before. They've got total intelligence dominance um, in the Gaza Strip. The their ability to penetrate uh, not just Pidge but Hamas is remarkable, and so they. Went out and just took out everyone that was above ground.
0: Yeah, and the Israeli weakness to me um, is the ability to sustain these operations because of the media criticism and the international outrage that that um, follows these type of operations. And I think that's what really in the it's it's, it's almost their, their firefighting. they're firefighting. They 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 put out the fire, it stays out, and then you know we wait another year and another fire. You know between the, it's, and again, when I say inability, it's not a, um, technical inability. They have the ability to do it, but they're unable to sustain these operations because of international pressure, because of media pressure, and not just that, and then there's various groups that, um, you know, they, have to, they don't have to just deal with Palestinian Islamic Jihad. They have to deal with Hamas and they have to deal with a, a host of other groups that are operating and, and Hezbollah, you know, we can go on and on with the the list of groups. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm just curious what you both think about that.
1: Just uh you know, uh, add on to also what uh, John was saying just a, a moment ago. Um, yeah. I think the, the, they definitely heard past Islamic jihad, uh, especially eliminating, uh, the leadership, uh, uh, at least, uh, the two major commanders, the northern and southern commanders and, and their deputies. Um, but, uh, you know, we kind of saw this in 2019, uh, the, uh, the killing of, uh, uh, commander, PIJ commander, uh, Bahabu al-Atta, And, uh, he was actually replaced by Taisir al jabadi And so, my point is, these, these guys get replaced. So they, um, just kind of like you're saying, they're kind of putting out the fire right now, but I think this is just gonna, these guys are gonna get replaced and it's just gonna happen again, you know, it's just like this, this vicious cycle. So, um, but yeah, it, it definitely, it, it, PIJ was caught off guard. I, I don't think they were expecting this attack, uh, a preemptive attack and it, 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 I got the sense that it took them a while to get going here uh, and uh, in their response. So um, but, yeah, as far as the leadership is concerned, I I think they they were definitely uh, hurt. uh, But I I can't say for sure if the entire leadership was was removed or eliminated. When you talk about that whack-a-mole game that,
2: you know, the Israelis are, you know, undeniably engaged in and continually engaged in, you know, people always ask, well, well, how does this how how do you finally break the cycle? Um, and, and for me, it's actually a fairly simple equation. And that is, you gotta, you gotta cut off the flow of funds and weapons and training from Iran. That's pretty much it. Um, of course, I mean, these groups will be able to fight, but they won't be able to fight as effectively if they're not trained and armed and funded by their masters in Tehran. And so, you know, for me, I, I look at the context of this battle. It was really interesting because it happened right as nuclear talks renewed in Vienna. And as we've all been watching, uh, we have um, a guy by the name of Said Gassiminejad at at FDD, who's done some just back of the envelope economic projections that if we do get back into this deal with Iran and we give them the sanctions relief that looks like it's all but guaranteed if the deal is struck, Iran will get something around $275 billion. And if you think that they're not going to send that money downstream to Pidge, to Hamas, by the way, to Hezbollah, to the Houthis, to all the Shiite militias, Bill, that you've been tracking in places like Iraq and Syria, um, and you're out of your mind, right? So we actually here in the United States, we are likely, if we do this deal, we are likely to be responsible for the continued challenges and unrest that we see in the Middle East by funding it. Um, You can't call for calm when you're funding Iran, because Iran will be, in turn, funding these groups.
0: Yeah, absolutely, John. I'm going to add two really quick points to that. Money is fungible, as you just noted. Um, This is something that – this is why why a a new deal with Iran would be a massive mistake – Iran takes this money, as you noted, and, and just funds our enemies. They did it in, in Afghanistan. They did it in Iraq. They've done it in Syria. They're doing it against Israel in various places. I'm going to also add to your list the safe havens that exist inside of Syria and Lebanon. That's also a lifeblood for these groups. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next question here. Uh com- Compared to the previous conflicts in Gaza, was this one any different? Is this more of the same? And, and if it is different, what is different about it?
1: I'll, uh, you know, I kind of, earlier I referred to, you know, the, the killing of al ata Um, that was in 2019. Uh, this, I think this is just, it was uh, the exact same thing. Uh, the, uh, he was killed in 2019. There was a response, uh, by the, by Pal- Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Uh, and there was uh, a few days of fighting and that was it. And then we saw this sort of like a rinse and repeat. Uh, situation again uh, over this weekend. Uh, and uh, the interesting thing, and I don't think we've actually talked about it uh, yet, is that uh, in both situations, Hamas at least overtly wasn't involved. I think they, if there's conflict in Gaza, Hamas is going to be involved one way or another. Uh, so, uh, but uh, in both situations, the Hamas wasn't uh, overtly involved like i was saying and uh but there was about uh from what i've tracked uh 10 uh other palestinian militant groups smaller militant groups than in, in palestinian islamic jihad uh that were um supporting it uh during the fighting so they were also firing rockets and firing mortars at israel uh, so there was support there but uh from lesser groups uh, smaller groups rather uh but not as much as from uh, as hamas like we saw in uh 2019 uh but saying that, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a rinse and repeat thing like we've been talking about already. Uh, you know, they, they, they have to respond if one of their their uh, commanders is killed. And uh, I just, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, this, if we're, we're back at this again in a year or, or sooner, uh, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, I'll just, I'll just add, I, I think this was kind of Bush League, I think is probably the best way of putting it. This was not a serious battle. Um, I mean, there were 600 rockets or maybe more, according to the Israelis. Their, um, estimates actually almost doubled, um, overnight, which is weird. They had been tracking roughly 600 and now all of a sudden it's like 1100. But, um, you know, they used maybe 10% of the arsenal that they had, um, maybe 15%, something along those lines, something like 20% of their rockets failed where their trajectory went um, haywire and they, you know, rockets fell into the Mediterranean. Um, thoughts and prayers for the fish. Um, and then on top of that, you know, they had this one rocket failure, which, you know, actually was very serious where you saw the trajectory go up and then it literally just landed right back down on Gaza. Um, in the, uh, refugee camp known as Jabalia. Um, it's actually, I, I was there something like 20 years ago. Um, terrible, you know, squalid place and, uh, a refugee camp ended up killing, I think it was four or five children, uh, and doing significant damage. This is, you know, you just get a sense of, of how poorly equipped, uh, Pidge was. Now they do have some longer rockets, which they didn't fire. Some they did by the way, into the Tel Aviv area. They, I think they kept most of their good rockets, uh, for another time, um, And so you just got a sense that this was not as serious of a battle. It was obviously very scary for both sides, all the civilians living in both Gaza and in Israel. But this was, uh, you know, I would say if you're going to rank the sort of clashes that we've seen over the last 10 years, this was probably um, toward the bottom in terms of seriousness um, in terms of, um, you know, the, the sort of uh, death and destruction that it could have caused. And I think that really does have a lot to do with the primary, uh, fighter on the Palestinian side, Palestinian Islam Jihad, I think was really revealed to be, look, I don't want to say they're a paper tiger. They still have the ability to fight, but this is not, you know, Hamas is a far more structured organization. It's, um, it's better trained, um, and, by the way, maybe it has something to do with the fact that they're Iran-backed, but they're also uh, backed by the Muslim Brotherhood, that they've got support from Turkey and Qatar. This is a far more uh, its – they've just got depth, and I don't think that Pidge has that. I think they've been revealed now to be something of uh, a weaker proxy uh, among all of those that we track in the Shiite axis.
0: Yeah, if I'm going to make a real quick comparison, you know, in in what I cover with the Sunni Shi groups. I'll use I Hate to do it, but use Afghanistan here. It's like comparing the Taliban and the Islamic State, or the Taliban Al Qaeda axis, really, and the Islamic State. One controls a state and has, you know, large numbers of fighters and and vast res- the resources of military, the U.S. and Afghan military left behind, and the other has several thousand fighters can can launch. Some harassing attacks, essentially. But when it comes down to it, you know, they're, they're not comparable. I'm Bill Raggio. This is Generation Jihad. And today we're talking to Jonathan Chanzer, the senior vice president of research at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and, and Joe Truzen, a research analyst at FDD and contributor to the Long War Journal. And of course, we're discussing the recent fighting between Israel and Palestinian Islamic Jihad a uh, real quick question um was there any significant casualties civilian casualties on either in in gaza or inside of israel
1: uh from what uh i haven't seen the latest numbers but i think from uh, as far as casualties on the gaza side uh there are about 40 um but that uh, that's the last time i checked and that was uh, some hours ago so that that may be different uh i, I don't uh, believe there were um as far as uh, rather as far as injuries concerned i know it's more than uh it's hover's around 300 uh but i'm sure that uh, that'll change uh this is obviously on the gaza side and uh, at least also uh at least there, uh, there are about uh 12 to 15 militants that were killed uh, uh in that uh, as a part of those uh those uh, those those people that were killed that I that I mentioned in Gaza. So, uh but that's going to take a little bit more time that's going to 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 research uh th- those numbers. Uh but on the Israeli side, I don't believe there were any uh there were any deaths. Um I think there were some uh injuries, but uh, most of it was due to uh running to to shelters and uh and uh, anxiety from the from the attacks. So, yeah, I mean, I, I noted yesterday, I was looking at
2: one of the Israeli websites and, you know, they're, they're far greater, um, greater impact by COVID-19 right now, um, than, um, the impact of, of the war itself. And I think that, that should be telling again, you know, not, not a particularly serious effort mounted by Islamic Jihad, but also you got to mention in the same breath here that, were it not for Iron Dome, it could have been a lot worse. Iron Dome, of course, being the the uh, missile defense system that uh, Israel operates uh, on short range rocket threats. Uh, it had a 97 percent success rate. That is nothing short of spectacular. Um, and, you know, it just every time I watch Iron Dome in action, I am in awe because no one believed that it was um, a, a viable Weapon system and and now you look at what it does during the, these conflicts and as as listeners probably know you know they're able to determine whether the rockets are going to fall short back into the Gaza Strip they're able to determine if they're going to go long and hit the desert where you know uh, no one is uh, uh, where there aren't civilians or any infrastructure and then the ones that look like they are going to hit uh, inside Israel they target them with ninety seven percent success it's just unbelievable and and actually Bill it, it does kind of shock me I you're probably aware of this um, but there was some debate and discussion about whether the U.S should be using Iron Dome. Um, I understand that um, from congressional pressure the U.S military picked up one battery um, and then promptly sent it to Guam of all places right The idea that this is where you need Iron Dome is kind of insane. Um, and I, I just don't get it. I mean, I know that there's discussion about compatibility and, and sort of maybe some counter intel concerns. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'm sure the Israelis, I mean, the code is already shared. They understand what's in this technology within the U.S. military. I still don't, uh, maybe we could bring on somebody at some point for another generation jihad episode, but I just don't understand why this is not something that is wielded more. By the US military. Um, they literally, I mean, it was the equivalent of sending this thing to Siberia when they sent it to Guam.
0: I'd love to have Brad Bowman on to discuss that. He can probably give us the ins ins and outs of why this, the the resistance in the military. And it is an impressive system. This is the type of system the US particularly could have used in, um, back in and around Baghdad and other areas in Iraq as, um, as, uh, particular, well, both Al Qaeda in Iraq and the, um, the, uh, Iranian-backed Shia terror groups were um, launching rockets and mortars daily at, into the green zone and at U.S. bases, um, again, not just in Baghdad. And I never really understood the resistance to to uh, integrate this, this technology. And real quick, uh, uh, maybe a shameless plug, but not. Look, John and Joe know what they're talking about. They J- Joe covers – uh the the conflicts in in the israel and the palestinian territories in depth the the long war journal and john's book a gaza conflict 2021 it's a must read if you want to understand the war last year and if you when john's you know that was a real real fight and that's where you know when joe and john are saying here that you know look this was you know this is sort of a you know, not a, not a, as big as we've seen in the past. Last year was the real deal. Um, that was some heavy fighting over, over the course. What was that? 11 days. Is that right? Um, the fighting. So yeah, hi, have, highly recommend that book. Uh, it's definitely something if you want to understand the, this con, the, the ongoing conflict and the intensity of the fighting last year as compared to what we're talking about today, you know, give that a read. So, um, have there, been, um, any new weapon systems? That have been employed by the the terror groups in in uh, this round of fighting. Um, not that so, I was aware of.
1: Yeah, there were not really. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say this: there was one claim by Al aqsa martyrs' brigades, but I think it's probably just propaganda that, that they were they successfully bombed Tel Aviv with a a, a new. Long range missile, like, I think they dubbed it something like and something, they called it something like that. Anyway, uh, but that's just a claim, but they never backed it up. Uh, previously, previous, uh, like in the last year, when Hamas or Islamic Jihad, um, claimed they, uh, unveiled new weapon systems, uh, they backed it up. They, they provided proof. Uh, in this case, uh, Al-Aqsa Mars Brigades, which is a Fatah affiliated, uh, militant organization, uh, you know, they made this claim, but uh, never provided it evidence to to back to back up the claim. So uh, it's uh, I'm I'm not sure about that. Uh, but of that, it was mostly mostly rockets, mortar fire, and there was one um, attempt, uh, at least what Palestinian uh, Islamic Jihad claims as an attempt to shoot down an IDF aircraft, and there with a shoulder uh, shoulder-fired anti-aircraft missile, which they did publish video of, but. Uh, again, uh, who knows what they were fi- actually firing at. So it could be more just propaganda, but overall there, there wasn't anything really new. Uh, it wasn't like, like last year, like you were saying, uh, Bill, it's, uh, this was more, even though it was, it was scary, it was intense, uh, at times, uh, it, it was nothing compared to what we saw, uh, in, in 2021.
0: Okay. So we have a ceasefire now. Um, is it sustainable? Is it even enforceable? Well, well, do we believe that Hamas would clamp down on Palestinian Islamic Jihad? Um, what are your thoughts on this, gentlemen? John, you start.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's never sustainable. And as I mentioned, as long as Iranian funding and training and and um, and, and cash continue to flow, as it undoubtedly will, um, you know, this is temporary. Uh, there's always going to be another round. Um, I could guarantee you that right now Pidge is in the process of rebuilding its arsenal. Um, They're already working with Iran to try to bring in um, more weapons uh, to perhaps send some of its next level of leadership to uh, to Iran uh, for training uh, or perhaps some other place. Um, You know, it's actually interesting that as this was going on, one of the Pidge leaders, uh, Ziad al-Nahle, was in Tehran meeting with the president of Iran. Um, so the coordination is already high. So we know that there'll be another round. It's, it's a, always a question of when and not if it, you know, that's just the way it always works. Um, what I would say though, is that, you know, I, I would be watching a couple of things when we kind of think about that next round. Uh, one is that nerve center in Lebanon that I mentioned that coordination center that's led by the IRGC could's force. And includes Hezbollah, Pij, Hamas, etc. cetera. be very curious to see what, if anything, the Israelis release about their activities um, and how that impacted the uh, the war, this most recent war. I do know that the Israelis called up a lot of uh, border guard units to try to prevent some of the domestic unrest in the mixed Arab towns that uh, we saw during the 2021 conflict. So it'll be curious to see whether there's sort of an after-action report there. I would also continue to watch the uh, West Bank for that lawlessness that we talked about. Um, these no-go zones where the Palestinian authority is unable to govern. Um, I'll be curious to see whether Hamas and Pidge and others double down on their, um, uh, on their activities there. But I will just say that, um, there were some interesting lessons that I think the Israelis conveyed. Um, for those considering another round, I mean the complete and total intelligence dominance of uh, you know the pidge leaders where they were their ability to get at them that's a that's a hell of a lesson I think for the other members of the Iranian axis who may be considering another bout with Israel um, you know Hezbollah right I mean we all keep talking about when not if that round uh, occurs. I'm sure that Hezbollah was watching carefully and saying, whoa, you know, they were able to get to the top leaders and they did so preemptively. What does that mean? You know, for Hezbollah, uh, Hamas, you know, they sat out and, you know, they didn't stop. Um, they didn't stop Pidge from fighting, uh, but they sat out. They didn't want to be part of another round, perhaps still licking their wounds from the last go. Um, perhaps just not seeing how it was worth it. Um there was by the way an interesting conversation I was listening to Israeli news um over the weekend and th- there was a conversation about whether Hamas should have paid a price as the semi sovereign in the Gaza strip for allowing this to happen in the first place right it's you know on the one hand you could say well they sat it out and they didn't want to get involved in this war great but what about allowing the territory that they control to be used for yet another rocket war. So I think there's kind of an open question of deterrence. Um, So I'd say a lot of open questions here uh, after this round. Again, though, because it was a relatively small one,
0: I don't expect there to be a significantly lengthy debate. John, uh, one quick follow-up question. Is the Palestinian Authority becoming increasingly irrelevant? They don't have any... Uh, they can't extend the writ into Gaza that is Hamas controlled. and now they're increasingly as you mentioned, you and Joe both mentioned the no-go zones that are seem to be increasing in the in the West Bank. What are your thoughts on the the sustainability? I mean it's 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 almost it's it's crazy that we consider the Palestinian Authority to be the moderate faction of the the Palestinians here. Um, but what are your, what are your thoughts on the, you know, how is, is it becoming increasingly more, uh, irrelevant over time?
2: Yeah, I think so. And it's unfortunate. I mean, I think that can be changed rather quickly with a new
0: president, a new chairman of the Palestinian. <laughs> oh, right. But the, I mean, how long has he been president? When was a, the last the, the
2: guy's been in since, uh, Arafat died, which was November, 2004. He was named the PLO, uh, chairman shortly thereafter in early 2005, and he's been in that chair ever since. And the guy, you know, is like falling asleep at meetings. Doesn't, you know, I mean, this is this is not a serious leader anymore. And during the last round of fighting, there was a lot of concern about the general irrelev- irrelevance of um, uh, of uh, of the P.A. I would say it it probably looked even more so during this round, although, by the way, I would say that it's possible that the PA was providing some intelligence to the Israelis on the whereabouts of Pidge I I would not be surprised if that happened um so there is some there is still some um you know some coordination but I think from what I understand the Israelis are far more active right now I'm on this WhatsApp feed from the IDF and, and they're constantly reporting uh the various operations that they are conducting in the West Bank some of them you know out in the open where you know, you can see IDF trucks, some of them carried out by what's known as the Duv Devan division, uh, where, you know, you got if you saw that, if you've seen the show, Fouda, you know, they dress up like Arabs and then all of a sudden, you know, take off their kefias and go in and arrest people. Um, so there, there's, there's just a lot of activity right now, which um, I think is not a good sign, right? I, I'd much rather be seeing Palestinian security forces doing most of this dirty work. Um, but we're just not seeing it. The tensions are running high between the PA and Israel. The the diplomatic ties are not great. Um, And that's a problem. By the way, I'll just add one more wrinkle to all this. The Jordanian rhetoric has been a disaster, right? This is supposed to be a moderate Sunni Arab state working with the Israelis. Um, Their rhetoric looks more and more like Hamas or Pidge for Iran and the way that they're slamming the Israelis for literally keeping things calm. Um, keeping a so, lid
0: on it, more like it. I mean, I wouldn't call it calm. I would just say it's a boiling cauldron with a lid that the Israelis place on top of it. Yeah, exactly. And so
2: I, I just I, I have a really hard time understanding where the Jordanians are on this. Um, I got a hard time understanding where the PA is. I mean, I get that they have a nationalist movement that they're trying to promote. Um, but if they want to have a chance of keeping it um, at least on track in some way, um, you know, m- maybe give the Israelis what they need in order to clamp down on these no-go zones and and, and maybe actually announce a coordinated assault uh, on some of these pockets of unrest.
0: Yeah. How, and um, Joe, I'll start with you. Uh, any other reactions from neighboring countries? Uh, Jordan was the one that stuck out to me as well. I was Really, I mean, look, we understand that Jordan has a significant Palestinian population. I'm sure some of that drives um, what is said. But I always say, you know, sometimes you could say nothing. Um, have Have there been any other reactions from neighboring countries, or so what are you What are you hearing out there?
1: Yeah, I think I saw a statement from the Saudi uh, Foreign Ministry uh, condemning the uh, two things. Actually, I think it was the um, one for, uh, uh Jewish visitors of, uh, visiting the, uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, the grounds of Al-Aqsa Mosque on Sunday, and, and also a statement, uh, about, uh, the, um, about the, the attack, uh, the Israeli pre- the preemptive, uh, attack the Israelis did, uh, you know, kind of decrying it, uh, or deriding it. Uh, so, um, which was a little surprising, but not too surprising. Uh, also, I just wanted to add what, John was previously saying about um we we're talking about the conflict and if it's you know like going to happen again yeah it's it's a whole rinse and repeat kind of thing unfortunately uh that we you know we've seen uh over the years uh 2018 2019 and obviously you know 2021 yeah there's some nice gaps there of silence you know calm which is great but uh so always something there's always a catalyst there that something will happen and then war breaks out uh additionally which was uh John uh touched on earlier uh, is about the coordination between what's going on in Gaza and and then in Lebanon uh on Friday uh Hezbollah, Hezbollah's secretary general uh, Hassan Nasrallah uh Actually, when he, he did a, he was, he did a speech at a conference or, or, he had a speech where he actually mentioned what was going on and he hinted, uh, that there was, uh, some coordination there. He said that they were, Hezbollah was in contact with the brothers in Hamas, the brothers in Islamic Jihad. So there is, he was hinting there that they're, they're talking. So, uh, what kind of information was going on? I'm not sure. Uh, but it, it was very reminiscent of, 2021 where uh there was like John said this nerve center in in Beirut where there was court this military coordination between the RDC Hezbollah Hamas and uh Islamic Jihad and the other Palestinian militant groups so uh I think there was something there but uh in the last in, in the, over the weekends fighting but um again it was it was short thankfully uh so yeah
0: so final question, gentlemen. I'm going to ask you to take out your magic eight ball and I'm not going to hold you to any of the, any of these predictions because it's extremely difficult. To give, there's so many factors in play. Um, what should we expect in, in the short term? By short term, I would grade that as, you know, within the next year and in the medium tier, medium term, say two to four years. I won't even ask you about the long term. What, what do we, what do we expect to happen? And, uh, John, I'll, we'll start with you. Um,
2: uh, Look, I would actually say that for me, um, taking a somewhat broader view, um, I think there's a really interesting wrinkle um, within the Israeli political system right now, um, as a result of this conflict. Um, you know, as you know, Israel's continues to go back to the polls, inconclusive. Uh, we just saw the dissolution of an Israeli government led by Naftali Bennett, and now Yair Lapid, who is the caretaker prime minister. What was really interesting to me was that, A, um, the coordination was clearly very good uh, between Lapid. This was the first war that he's ever run as prime minister. He's only been in office for you know a month. Um, and um, it was actually, I think, a really good lesson in the Israeli system that the IDF functions quite well, even uh, at a moment of, let's call it perpetual transition, in the Israeli system. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. But but the other thing that, that really struck me, I was thinking back, when was the last time that Israel um, uh, had to go through a war in the Gaza Strip or even anywhere else where Benjamin Netanyahu was not the prime minister? And I just couldn't think of it, right? I mean, you had to go back to, uh, I guess, 2006, the war with Hezbollah, right? I am mean, so you uh we, we just saw this moment where i think israelis who maybe would have said well you know Bibi is the only one or likud the likud party is the only party that we that that we can rely on um i think lapid just proved them wrong and not only did he take out you know a large majority let's say of the uh, palestinian islamic jihad leadership but i also would say that The ending of this war was really interesting that uh, after we knew that a ceasefire was already locked in. By the way, the Egyptians have done a tremendous job now twice in a row of negotiating these ceasefires and trying to bring calm to the region. That is the new role of Cairo. Um, But it was interesting because even after a ceasefire was uh, arranged, you know Pidge kept firing rockets and it was sort of petulant. I mean, they were just firing these rockets to kind of get their last licks in, um, maybe to try to show their people that they were gonna keep fighting to the very end, et cetera, et cetera. But Lapide did not bite. He he said he said this publicly. He said, We already got what we needed out of this, and we've got Iron Dome shooting down the vast majority of these rockets. We're not going to engage anymore. This war's over for us. It was very professional, very straightforward, and I think. Um, you know, I think the Israeli public will almost certainly take note of this, that it was handled rather well. And I would also say that uh, for Iran, for Hezbollah to note that, um, you know, not only did they have intelligence dominance on the Israeli side, um, and not only were they incredibly lethal and precise, um, but they were, um, you know, they were able to do this during transition. So I think The Iranian Axis undoubtedly is going to have to have a think about um, whether they want a next round anytime soon, um, regardless of who is in power. Uh, But the big thing for me to watch, honestly, the big thing that all of us should be watching is this um, Vienna process, this negotiation about whether Iran gets $275 billion over the next year and possibly a hell of a lot more than that over the decade to come. Um, it would be really one of the greatest unforced errors I could think of right now in terms of, you know, the challenges we face in curbing Iranian aggression or Iran-backed aggression. I really do hope that uh, the U.S. does not um, uh, does not re-enter this deal for the reasons previously discussed.
0: John, I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. And excellent observations on the, the Israeli political side, something I hadn't considered. I, you're right. I mean, it's been nearly 2 decades since israel fought a war without netanyahu not netanyahu at the helm and um they, they seem to have done a decent job as you said they you know it it lessens the argument for likud for netanyahu to be the prime mover in israeli po- politics joe any final thoughts from you
1: yeah so it's uh, you know it's impossible to say uh, yeah, you know, what, uh, when's the next conflict? I mean, the problem, like, w- in this conflict, what, uh, the problem stemmed from, uh, what happened in the West Bank, and it's those, uh, the Palestinian Islamic jihad and, the uh, other militant groups are still there. So, um, it, which is interesting, though, is that during the conflict, they stayed quiet. Uh, so it was kind of, I was interested to see if they would start, you know, making trouble in the West Bank while, uh, there was a conflict in Gaza, but, but they didn't. Uh, so regardless, right now, It's like we said before, you know, it's uh, Hamas and Islamic Jihad. They're just in a stage of of rearming. That's it. Twenty twenty one, Hamas lost uh, a lot of raw uh, material and uh, and commanders uh, and engineers. They they took a heavy blow uh, by the IDF, and uh, now uh, this year's and this weekend's war, same happened too with uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. So. uh, you know, it's, uh, it'll happen again, for sure. And I hate to say that. But uh, in the near future, in the next few months, I think we'll be slightly okay. But uh, you never know. It could be another year from now. It could be four years. Uh, we just don't know. There's always uh, well, there's al- They're always in the conflict uh, one way or another. And it just takes one event to spiral out of control like we just saw uh, this past weekend.
0: Joe, John. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for your interesting perspectives on this conflict. Uh, Thanks for joining us on Generation Jihad today.
1: Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Bill.
0: Thanks, everyone, for joining us for today's episode of Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, you could find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review, preferably a positive one. Thanks again, and we'll see you again soon.